BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. Chicago Land Cremation Options. Com. Eroding beaches on Chicago's lakefront, warmer winters in the upper Midwest, microplastics in our water. What can any one person do? Our best hope for saving the planet and ourselves is through the power of we. Get to the ninth annual One Earth Film Festival, the Midwest's premier environmental film festival. It's March 6th through the 15th. March 6th through the 15th. When? March 6th through the 15th. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say the that. The 14th? No. Uh-uh. Pay attention. Take a piece of paper out and a pencil and okay. write it down. March 6th through the 15th. Okay? 15th. And there's 26 films, 48 events, and four counties. What is that again, D? 26. Films. 48. Events. Four. Counties. You can engage with filmmakers and experts. Venues include Tesla Gold Coast, Loyola University, Plant Chicago, Old St. Patrick's Church, Chicago Cultural Center, Lake Theater and Oak Park, and much more. Go to OneEarthFilmFest.org. What is that, D? OneEarthFilmFest.org. One more time. OneEarthFilmFest.org. God, are you good. That's correct. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. But before we get into that, we got to thank the following unions once again for sponsoring this program. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9 are sponsors, as well as the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Couldn't do it without you, unions. Thank you so much. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Friday, March 6th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky show. In this hour of the program, attorney Leonard Goodman returns and the long-awaited returns of 25th Ward Alderman Byron Sigcho Lopez and Laureen Targos. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, 
Ben Jarofsky. Leonard Goodman in studio. Leonard Goodman in studio. Ace attorney. Rod Bogoyevich's attorney. I think the last time he was in the show, well, the time before we did the deep dive on Jeffrey Epstein, still one of our most popular shows. May have to do another deep dive on Jeffrey Epstein, Leonard. Uh, before we bring Leonard on, D, you got an update for me? Absolutely, I do. I want to remind everybody that we are in search for music. Attention, musicians. If you're in a band or you know someone who's in a band and they're looking to get some exposure, well, the Ben Jarofsky Show is the place to play your music. That is, if you don't sue us. Don't sue us. <laughs> Please don't. It's the last thing. We're hiring need. Leonard Goodman if you do sue us. There you go. Attorney <laughs> at law, damn it. But no, if you seriously, though, send us your music. Uh, we've had uh, a, a nice amount of people sending in music. Yeah, no, it's, it's cool. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to give a shout out right now to our friend Michael. Not only is he the author of that song you just heard. Michael's having fun here. Uh, and uh, he sent us another song. I can't believe he did this to uh, me. Yeah, this is funny here. It says here uh, he sent it to he knows I'm the one that reads the emails. By the way, if you want to send us your music, Benny J Show at gmail.com. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J show at gmail.com. Michael reached out to us and says, Hey Dennis, not really even sure what to say about this track other than you're welcome. Happy Friday. Here's the latest from Michael, and it's perfect. We got oh, Leonard Goodman in here with us. Uh, this one's called Blago Looks Great. Blago, 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 That's Blago, 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 It's a Blago, remix. Blago, Just Blago. go for it. God, Blago looks great. Blago, 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 it's looking great. It's a fiddle. Blago, 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 have me sing at the start of every show. Dennis makes me sing to make sure that the mics are on, uh, everything's working, and uh, I can't sing at all. Leonard Goodman, uh, he, he, knows. he knows, so it's kind of a joke. And then I didn't realize he was actually putting it into the podcast. So, anyway, uh, be like Michael, thank you send very us much. your music at Benny J Show at gmail.com. Benny J Show at gmail.com. Find us on social media, Benny J Show. We look forward to hearing from you. All right, Leonard Goodman, welcome back to the show. We are going to talk Blago, 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 right? Glad to be here. And uh, thank you. And Trump, 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 and Blago and Trump, and Dems and Bernie. I have a whole list of things I want to talk to you about. Maybe throw a Kim Fox question at you. Get your thoughts on Kim Fox. She was sitting in that very chair yesterday. But before we do, I didn't realize this until you sent me a text uh, a couple of weeks ago. You you two are in a band. Yes. Uh, and so why don't you do what every person who is in a band does when they come on the show? Promote, promote, promote. Yeah, I'm in a band called The Drawers. We have a ton of uh, criminal defense lawyers in the band um, and, uh, and a bunch of old friends. And we're really good. Uh, we're playing at Martyrs uh, June 16th. And we may have a special guest to sing Jailhouse Rock, uh, a guy that's a, kind of an Elvis freak. And he does a great Elvis. In fact, he played in a band in his last uh, uh, residence. And um, uh, he may be there uh, singing with us. All right. And I think that person's name would be Rod Rod Blagojevich. Yeah. He's a... yeah. All right. So let's get to it. Uh, Rob, look, I, I'll, I'll be there if, if you, well, I'll, I may come up uh, just to see you guys play. Wait, do you do covers or originals? Uh, both. Mostly covers. Yeah. Pete and, Floyd, David Bowie, um, Neil Young, and some originals. Do you, are you the singer? Uh, I sing a couple songs. I'm the worst singer of the 
we have about uh, three or four singers um, in the band. So having heard me sing, uh, are you better than me? Uh, I don't have your pipes. <laughs> <laughs> I can sing. I can sing Neil Young. Uh-huh. I do two Neil Young songs. Which I might, ones? Uh, I do Old Man and then a, a song called Come On Baby, Let's Go Downtown. And uh, at this gig, I'll probably sing um, uh, Warren Zevon. Lawyers, Guns, and Money. Oh, I love that. Oh, yeah. man, is that a good song. Yeah. Love that song. So cynical. But because I put the band together, I get to sing a couple songs. I, I see. I'm not a great singer. Uh, you know? And you play lead or? Uh, I play rhythm, and then we have a great lead guitar player named Steve Doyle. Um, a lot of old friends that I went to high school Steve with. Steve Doyle. I know who Steve Doyle is. He teaches at Old Town Absolutely, School. Absolutely, yeah. The guy is a great guitar fantastic. player. fantastic, yeah. And then uh, my one of my oldest friends, Bob Mamet, uh, who's the half-brother of David Mamet, amazing uh, piano player. Um, his brother Tony is on our, in our band, so we have a lot of talent. I'm, mm-hmm. probably, I, I'm probably the least talented in the band, but I put it together. So, All right, well, that's you know. uh, uh, maybe we can twist your arm into uh, t- uh, contributing some music. We need music. What happened? Uh, I don't know if you heard this, but really briefly, we'd been doing, using these songs uh, to open the, the show. I thought uh, they were in the public domain, and then we got a cease and desist a letter of sorts or an email. I don't know what it was. I call it a cease and desist letter. And so we've been asking our listeners to send in music ever since. Okay. Uh, Pete Cunningham, who's comes on the show. He's my centrist who comes on the show. God bless you, Pete. Uh, and uh, he contributed some music. He's a very talented musician in his own right. So a lot of people, this gentleman, Michael, uh, has contributed music. So uh, anything you can give us, I would appreciate. Uh, and uh, no cease and desist letters in the aftermath. Okay. All right, Leonard Goodman, you, we've talked about this so many times you were Blago's attorney uh, you were his last attorney you were fighting the fight to get him released I was with you one for eight years for eight years <laughs> yeah you, you've been his attorney for eight yeah. years since uh, since his sentencing back in 2011 god dang yeah wow well I was with you 100% I thought 14 years was outrageous and uh, eight years was too long and I, you I mean, I've ever since I've had a microphone, you've been coming on to uh, say how outrageous it is. Uh, but you haven't been on since he got out. So talk a little bit about just, you know, how you got the news and just the, the whole interchanges to the release of Rob Lugovich. Well, uh, I got no warning at all. I was at the office, you know, actually I was about on my way to go teach a class at DePaul and um, got a call from Patty. And <laughs> she said that, you know, I, she talked to Trump and Trump had signed the papers. So, you know, and my feeling was, you know, I, I'm not even going to celebrate until I actually see him in the flesh because we've had so many times and where, you know, they've gotten their hopes up and, you know, it's going to happen now over the summer. It was supposed to happen. I think you probably remember that, you know, Trump had, <laughs> had talked about it. You came on the show when we yeah. talked about it. Yeah. Um, and so it's almost, you know, that poor family has had so many ups and downs. Um, but this time it was real. <laughs> Trump had signed the papers. Uh, we then, t- I then talked to the pardon attorney and he confirmed. Um, so what's uh, the pardon attorney? The uh, person that works for the the White House and advises uh, the president and all the the pardons and commutations go through the pardon attorney. Got it. And then so that I the the days are all a blur, blur. But I think 
uh, Blagojevich was out of prison that night. I remember, I yes. think it was that night. it was night. a Tuesday. Tuesday he yeah. caught the last flight from Denver back to Chicago. And you were there Wednesday for the press conference. I was there, yeah. But he, I don't recall him saying, so Rod, come on, give some love to Leonard Goodman. The guy fought for you for eight years. Yeah. Well, he, he gave me plenty of love in private. In so. private. Well, let's get some public love. All right, he doesn't need the public love, yeah. maybe. Um, all right, so your thoughts about... Uh, the connection between Trump and Blagojevich. I wrote a column about this uh, where I said it was obvious to me that Donald Trump was hoping to use uh, the release of Rob Blagojevich to make a larger point about criminal justice, how somehow or other he was a criminal justice reformer, yeah. uh, which do you agree with that? I don't. I read your column. I, you know, I enjoy your columns. You're an entertaining writer. I mean, that one I did not agree with very much that was in it. Um, I'm not surprised. Uh, first of all, you know, I, I don't think there was any real political motive for Trump. I understand why people are saying that. But, you know, he first of all, he knew Rod. Um, he knew his family from when they were on that show when uh, before Rod's trial. And he had spoken many times that he thought the thought thought the case was unfair, thought it was political, didn't think he belonged in prison, thought the sentence was outrageous. And um and, you know, he was going to commute a sentence over the summer and decided for whatever reason to float it in one of those press gaggles. And he got pushback, I would say an organized campaign of pushback from the Department of Justice, who sort of got their puppets out there to go and pester Trump and tell him, you better not, you better not. And, um, and he backed down. And the reason he backed down, we were told, is because he was getting it from both sides. So from Republicans and Democrats alike, uh, did not want Rod out. And so I don't believe that there was any sort of political motive. Maybe with some of the other people that he commuted, there was, but I don't believe that's the case with Rod. I, I do think it was sincere that he thought uh, this man um, is serving an excessively long sentence. All right. So now that he's out uh, and do you think that there's any legitimacy to the claim Trump's now making that he, Donald Trump, is more of a criminal justice reformer than the Democrats? Well, I, I mean, I do believe in giving Trump credit where it's due. Um, and I'm not a Trump supporter, as you know, I'm a Bernie supporter. Um, but, you know, he's done some things. On, he, he did pass this thing called the First Step Act. In fact, this week on, was it, I don't even know what day today is, on Wednesday, I was uh, downstate in lovely Benton, Illinois, mm -hmm. on the federal court with my client, uh, a guy named Yuka Wadlington, who's trying to get um, out of prison. He's been in for 20 years. He's serving a life sentence. Uh, so some of Trump's performs are helping. And I think, you know, finally, there's some hope for people like Yuka and for other people. Um, you know, so yeah, he's done some things. He I, and God bless him to the to the extent that he's looking in federal prison for people that are serving excessive sentences, not just Rod Blagojevich, mm -hmm. but others. Um, I would support him in that. You know, and I think uh, Democrats need to support support him when he's right. If he's going to, um, you know, there's, God knows there's plenty of people. That we've had a war on drugs for thirty years. Um, and where they've been locking up black and brown people. And it's time for some of these people to come home serving, you know, 20 to life. And if, if it were white people from the suburbs who were, who also sell drugs, by the way, 
I can tell you, um, if those people were getting 20 to life, the war on drugs would have ended a long time ago. But because it's falling on, the burden is falling on minority communities who are, don't have the political yeah. power. It just goes on and on and on. And the feds won't even study. I mean, they won't even recognize that marijuana has any sort of medicinal value. I mean, up until a few years ago, they were raiding clinics for, uh, that were you know, growing marijuana for, for sick people in California. So you know, the feds have a track record of just keep bad policies that never end because they profit, people profit from them. And um, so, yeah, to the extent that Trump can do something about that, I support him. Well, plenty I, of things that he does that I don't support. I, I agree with what you just said. And the frustration I have with this, which I uh, expressed in that column that you alluded to, the frustration I have with this is that Donald Trump's notion of criminal justice reform is so limited. And uh, when I think about Donald Trump's, the role he plays on our local level, the role, the limited role when he, every now and then he, he'll use Chicago uh, as a way to uh, drum up support. and the way he uses Chicago is to sort of perpetuate the injustices that you were just alluding to, to, you know, like to mock and malign Kim Fox uh, and her efforts at criminal justice reform, to undercut her, to make it seem as though criminal justice reform is related to an in increase in crime. And so we, we should be very afraid of any prosecutor like Kim Fox who tries to show some compassion for people who are just locked in it. And so I really have a hard time. It's a struggle, Leonard. I see him like, he talks about Alice Marie Johnson, whose uh, sentence he commuted uh, from, I think it was Tennessee or Kentucky. I can't remember which one at the moment. Uh, and he talks about, he will be talking about Rob Goyevich, I'm pretty sure, in the campaign. And then he ignores the fact that, um, you know, he uses uh, the Justice Smollett case and, and Kim Fox sort of as a way of, fighting back and undercutting criminal justice reform and yes as you just said the federal government is uh, will not legalize marijuana there are people on a federal it's causing so many problems for the marijuana industry obviously but it's also causing a lot of problems. people are in jail so you see what i'm saying i really struggle with this well i totally agree with you there i mean i'm not saying trump is going to be the you know the go down in history as a great reformer of the criminal justice system. I'm just saying that when he uh, is trying to do something uh, positive, that people should should give him credit or support him or work with him. Um, that's all I'm saying. I agree with you about Kim Fox and grandstanding on the Jesse Smollett case, um, you know, which is, you know, I mean, you just talked to Kim Fox, you know, maybe she made a mistake, but, you know, she's done a lot uh, of good um, she's helping. She's helping to get some innocent people out of jail. Uh, she's people are no longer having to post or sit in, in Cook County Jail for two years because they're too poor to post bail. So she has been a reformer, and it would be a shame to see her, um, you know, lose after one term 
um, and not be able to carry on with, with what she's started, which has really been very positive. Well, when you hear Rob Ogoevich say that uh, I am a Trumpocrat, which is, I think is what the word he coined uh, to say that he's a Democrat, but they just go to support Trump. Is there any part of that you says, look, Rod, I know you appreciate Donald Trump from get, for getting you out of prison. And I know I realize that Barack Obama wasn't going to lift a finger for you. Uh, but could you not say Trumpocrat because that would get more people to vote for Donald Trump and that will actually hurt the cause of criminal justice reform? You know, you know Ben, actually, I have exactly. I've had that exact conversation with Rod, um, you know, and I've said, you know, Trump's values are not your values. Um, I understand why you appreciate him and are grateful um, because he did recognize the unfairness of your case and um, and other people didn't, including uh, Barack Obama. So I understand why. He's, but, you know. I think he does listen to me, <laughs> whether he's actually, you know, going to follow my advice. I can't tell you that, you know, at this point, uh, my role, my official role for him is pretty much over, although he's on supervised relief. So, so I guess technically, um, supervised release. Mm -hmm. So technically I still have some role, but, um, you know, what does supervised release mean? It's, it's like parole. So he has to report in with an officer. Every he has now and to, then. Yes. And he has travel restrictions and you know, for how long? Two years. And then he becomes a quote unquote free citizen. Correct. Um, all right. Well, that's uh, unless he's pardoned, fully pardoned. Yeah. Uh, and then then none of these restrictions uh, apply to all. I, the one part of the column that I, uh, that I particularly enjoyed writing. And it's the one part I don't think I'll ever uh, stop saying what I I appreciate Trump on this two levels and two K one. Uh, I getting Blago out of prison, I thought. Like I said, 14 years was too long, and he'd already served eight. So thank you, Trump. All right, there, I said it. Uh, but the second point, <laughs> he, I, I've, I've said this to you before, Leonard. He cut the Republican Party off at the knees. They were using Donald Trump as their poster boy. Uh, I mean, excuse me, they were using Rapakovich as a poster boy to uh, undercut uh, any, any Democrat, but particularly uh, Pritzker. And then when Donald Trump started talking, uh, commuting Blago's sentence, he, it just killed that issue for them. It killed that issue that the Republicans are, and the Republicans were using that issue, Leonard, as part of a larger campaign to destroy union rights, collective bargaining rights, roll back regulatory rights. They were just using Rod Blagojevich and the Rod Blagojevich story for some pretty nasty ends if you want to get it. and i just when donald trump the leader of the republican party said that it was unjust sentence and he was thinking about uh commuting it suddenly old boy bruce ronner lost his main weapon against jb pritzker yeah it's a good point it's a good point i mean because rod is a democrat and uh, you know there's he's not a republican so i that's true. Good point. All right, Rod. Now listen to my advice. You're out of prison. You don't have to say you're a Trump cat anymore. All right. Let's move on from Rod Blagojevich. Uh, let's do. Let's talk about. Uh, you, you mentioned for Bernie Sanders. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Lori Targos and uh, Byron Sixto Lopez will be on. We'll be talking about this more uh, in the next segment. But the pushback is happening. I've already uh, discussed it uh, some on the show. Uh, I, I too am for Bernie. I'm looking forward to voting for him uh, in the election coming up. I'm more of a Dem than you are. We had this conversation before uh, the last time we were on the show. I'm 
pretty much I can't recall the last time I didn't vote Democrat. But you uh, know, I think part of why you're more of a dumb is yeah. because I think you know you're more focused on the state of Illinois and you know the Democratic Party here in Chicago and where they actually do th- do something. You know, <laughs> they actually have to you know run a city and yeah. public schools and you know the feds. I, I guess I'm more focused on the federal government. I practice more in federal court. Um, you know, I've represented a Guantanamo detainee, so I've sort of seen sort of the underbelly of the beast of the federal government and they don't do anything and you know a lot of times they are perfectly happy to lose and and be on the outside because if they're on the outside then they can blame the republicans for everything but when they have the senate and the house and the presidency like they had with obama then people actually expect them to do something um, and it's harder to satisfy their donors who don't want them to do anything to help the people they basically want them to help the donors so you know i think that's partly why our, our why we part ways on the democratic party yeah, I, I well, with me, it's it's more like I don't want to like put myself on the couch, Leonard, but I, I would put myself on the couch. I've actually addressed this. It's 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 deep, man. It's like going back to how I was raised and Roosevelt and you know New Deal. Dem- but it's a parents. different party. Now. I know. You know I know. Clinton, Clinton made a decision to to pivot to Wall yes. Street, and it's now a Wall Street party. And I actually you know, think that decision was made before. Bill Clinton, because I remember, Leonard, the fight in 19, believe it or not, 7980. I don't want to go, 79-80, Ted Kennedy was running at Jimmy Carter from the left. And it was all, how are we going to deal with their coming recession? And should we, you know, uh, raise interest rates uh, and bring bring down inflation and do it by hurting people? And Ted Kennedy's saying, no, it meant that credible speech he gave at the Democratic Convention in 1980. And Jimmy Carter, who I love now, you know, it was. So I actually think that what you're talking about was happening before Bill yeah, Clinton. It could be. Bill Clinton inherited it. Uh, but anyway, the pushback, you're seeing it right now, the pushback to, to lefties like me fall in line, give up, it's over, just Joe Biden's the nominee, stop wasting our time uh, with Bernie, you're just making it more difficult to win in November. I'm feeling that pushback pretty strong, Leonard. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of fear, fear mongering, you know, that it's like Bernie's the only one that can save, I mean, I'm sorry, that Joe Biden is the only one that can stop Trump. Um, You know, to me, it's just bullshit because I think Joe Biden is gonna be the weakest candidate they could possibly put up against Trump. I mean, you look at his record. He's been for every single war. Um, he's talked about uh, he's talked about cutting Medicare and Social Security, but never the defense budget. Uh, he's completely in, in the pocket of Wall Street. He's been carrying water for the banks, the bankruptcy bill. Um, he got caught plagiarizing again and again, lying about his law school record. I mean, Trump is going to wipe the floor with this guy. And the fact is, if you look at the people that are pulling the strings at the DNC, I mean, look at the people that that Perez put on the committee to stop Bernie. You know, these are these are corporate lobbyists who hate Bernie Sanders. You know, they're all in power at the DNC and they're they're super delegates. And these are people that also lobby for Republicans and contribute to Republicans. So these are people that fund both parties um, and they would much prefer Donald Trump to Bernie Sanders. So they don't care um, if if uh, Trump wins. Now they would rather have um, they would rather have a Biden or a Hillary Clinton or a Mitt Romney than Trump. That's for sure. 
but they do not want Bernie Sanders, somebody that's not uh, in their pockets, somebody that's actually beholden to the people and small donors. They don't want them in there and they're going to do whatever they can to stop them. And I think, you know, I, I have not given up. I think he's, he's still got a chance. Bernie. You know, he, he may have to come out fighting uh, more than he has and stop this sort of appeasement strategy with the Democratic Party because they're not, they're not his friends. Um, and, but I, I still think, you know, it's still close in the delegate counts. There's, you know, I, I think, you know, I think this, this fear game, and I also think once he's on the stage in a debate against Joe Biden, I think people are going to say, wait a second. Um, you know, I think we, we, we might be putting our, uh, our money on the wrong horse here because Bernie is, um, you know, his, his ideas are ideas that people actually want. I mean, people actually want to pay their taxes and get something in return other than an air show in the summer. That's basically what we get for our federal taxes. You know, shouldn't we get like other countries some health care? Um, and so I, I have not given up. Well, I've not given up either. I just am feeling the pressure uh, all the time and uh, the sense, you know, like even Elizabeth Warren, the pressure on Elizabeth Warren uh, to fall in line and to support Joe Biden. And it's interesting. uh, I mean, I don't know if anything's broken since I've been in this uh, studio. She she wouldn't. It's it's interesting how the moderates, when they quit, immediately endorsed uh, Joe Biden. And when Elizabeth Warren dropped out of the race, she didn't immediately endorse Bernie. So you could see that just from there. Well, she's probably feeling a lot of pressure. But, yeah. you know, the fact is she's been talking about getting, you know, getting the influence of big money out. No more super PACs. She says she really believes in Medicare for all. Um, so, you know, what is she waiting for? Huh. She's going to go with the with the corporate Democrat, with the guy that's been, you know, pro-war. What is she waiting for? We're going to get into that with Lorene Targos. I'm going to ask her that question. What is uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren like? Like Lorene Targos is the spokesperson for uh, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, she's nodding her head. She's ready to go. Uh, Leonard, before I let you get out the, the door, the, like I said, the conversation we had about Jeffrey Epstein uh, is one of our most popular podcasts. Uh, we took a deep dive on the whole Jeffrey Epstein case. Uh, is there anything that has happened subsequent, subsequent or recently about that case that's given you any new insights, uh, new thoughts about it, and what went down? Well, I mean, you know, predictably, it's sort of dropped out of out of the news, right? I mean, nothing to see here. Uh, move on. He killed himself. You know, there's been. There's certainly been a lot of questions raised about how he died in one of the most secure prisons. And still nobody has talked about his, nobody will, in the mainstream press, will talk about his connections to the intelligence community. And, you know, that's, you know, I'm still waiting for that discussion because it was admitted that, um, you know, that he had ties to intelligence that he probably was working with intelligence to set up to get dirt on political figures from, you know, to help 
to get dirt on foreign leaders, whether it's Israelis um, or others. So, yeah, there's a lot of unanswered questions there. I'd love to come back on and talk about it. Yeah, we'll uh, bring you back on and talk about it. I just saw the story yesterday. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, that the, that, that prison, some there was a gun was discovered in that prison. There's a lot of issues with that prison, that is for certain. Yeah. Um, but uh, we will uh, probably have that conversation another time. Uh, Leonard Goodman, thanks so much for coming on. And his name of his band is The Drawers. Uh, June 16th, that's a long time out. Uh, is there... well, Rod said he would play with us, but he says, we got to rehearse. I said, don't worry, we've got plenty of time. <laughs> you, got plenty, so, you got three months yeah. uh, to rehearse. All right, thank you very much, Leonard. We got uh, Byron Sixer Lopez, Lorraine Targos on deck. We're going to bring them on when we return. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. You have to know about the Board of Review, and if you're a commercial property owner, you have to have a lawyer. And here's where the politics comes in, is that a lot of politicians in this state and in this city and in this county, some of the most powerful politicians, their side jobs are running property tax appeals law firms. This is Maya Dukmasova. This is Ben Jarofsky. And this is Chicago Reader's Backroom Deal. Today we are talking about the election of a new commissioner for the Cook County Board of Review. Now, the Board of Review is kind of an obscure uh, body in Cook County, which is made up of three districts. And District 1, which covers a lot of the Cook County suburbs, is the one that has a uh, has a race on, on the... N- March 17th ballot. So the Board of Review is basically an administrative hearing body where property owners can go if they think that their property is being improperly assessed or if it's over-assessed and they're being asked to pay more property taxes than they think they should. They can take their case and their grievances to the Board of Review and ask them to examine whether or not they've been properly assessed. So the idea is that if you get your property tax assessment and, and you're not happy with it or it seems wrong, this is a way that you can that you can go through like an appeal process, mm-hmm. basically. So this all sounds pretty innocuous and you'd think that, you know, it's good that we have this opportunity to appeal our property taxes in Cook County. However, what many people may not realize is that the Cook County Board of Review is politically a very important entity, and the three commissioners on there aren't just random people off the street who got elected by, you know, by, by sleepy voters in, you know, a couple of precincts. Tell us a little bit about the politics of this body. Well, this is a very important body if you're a property tax owner. Actually, it's a very important body even if you just live in Cook County, because as I always point out, my renters pay property taxes too. This is a very important point to make uh, through the higher rents. If property taxes go up, to, more often than not, a landlord will pass those that uh, rising property tax on to the renter in the form of a tax hike. And then 
basically really fast. Your property tax bill is a tax rate multiplied against the assessment of your property. The tax rate is the same for everyone. The varying thing is the assessment of your property. The higher they assess your property, the higher they say your property is valued, the more you're going to pay in property taxes. If you feel your property is taxed too high, as you say, you can go to the Board of Review and ask for an appeal. You could point out that what your neighbor's buildings uh, are assessed at. You show the comparables and, uh, and then they could lower your assessment. If they lower your assessment, your tax bill goes down. So it's very important, particularly when we talk about the issue of affordability, affordable housing in the city of Chicago. This is the front lines in many ways, very practical office. And you're absolutely correct. This is a party office. All right. That's all you get there for free. All right. The backroom deal. That's what you were just hearing. The latest episode of the backroom deal with Maya Dukmasova and Ben Jarofsky. You can hear the latest backroom deal shows at chicagoreader.com and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. That there was the board of review that Maya and Ben were discussing. Uh, they also talked the state reps race, the Senate seats. They don't do the judges, all right? That would just be too long of a podcast, you know what I mean? So you're on your own there on voting for the judges. But the rest of that ballot, if you're uninformed, maybe a little unaware, well, go check out The Backroom Deal at chicagoreader.com and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Lorraine Targo's in the studio, Byron Sixer Lopez in the studio, regulars on this show. Lorraine, activist, EPA scientist, union rep. Right on, Lorraine. Uh, and uh, Byron Sixer Lopez, the alderman of the 25th Ward, the Pilsen Area Award in the news. We're going to talk about that. Also going to talk about the impact of coronavirus on business in Chinatown, which is in the 25th Ward. And uh, I haven't done this on the show, but I'm absolutely urging people don't be scared off, man. Don't be scared off. We'll get into all that and do a lot of Bernie talk. Two Bernie supporters in the studio. Uh, had a lot of Bernie supporters in the studio huh. today. Isn't that interesting? It's almost like he's going to win. <laughs> it's almost like he's going to win. Um, yes. <laughs> ben, maybe we haven't gotten the message that we're supposed to drop <laughs> off and quit. Uh, hasn't reached the Ben Drowski Show. Before we uh, start our conversation, you got an update for me? Absolutely. I got two updates here. One is breaking news and the other... Maybe one of the dumbest political campaign ads I've ever seen. First, the breaking news. <laughs> Cook County Commissioner Jeffrey Tobolsky is resigning from office later this month, he said in a, late, a letter dated today. Tobolsky's resignation letter addressed to Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle did not give a reason for his pending departure. His resignation, though, takes effect March 30. First, FBI agents agents raided the village headquarters of suburban McCook, where he is mayor on September 26th. The raid came on the same day as federal law enforcement authorities descended on the village hall in nearby Lyons. And two days after raids on the offices and homes of State Senator Martin Sandoval, a Chicago Democrat whose district includes both towns. Ben Jarofsky, your thoughts on uh, Tobolsky resigning? Well, I'm not surprised. Uh, It's interesting. Byron Cecil Lopez in the studio. We could talk about it. Uh, he's uh, more of the, uh, well, he's one of the independent side. You've been on the other side of this fight for many times, Martin Sandoval, HDO, and all that stuff. Uh, what do they call you know, the chickens coming home to roost? Is there, you know, that's uh, Democratic politics on the southwest side of Chicago. It, gets, it often gets a little sleazy. It gets a little dirty. Byron, you know this probably better than anyone because you've been fighting them for so many years and uh, gets a little corrupt from time to time. Um, now I go on and on. I'm I'm on an official. My, Byron, I don't know if I've actually expressed this to you, but like I'm officially 
not joining the bandwagon on uh, sounding the crusade against Southwest side Democrats who are being corrupt until Republicans join the crusade against Donald John Trump being corrupt. I'm saying, you know what? When they, when the, everybody is corrupt, pays a price for being corrupt, then I'll be leading the church. I've been doing this for a long time, Byron, mm-hmm. you know, going against the Sandoval's and the Bolsky types of the world. Yep. But then I'm, we're my Republican brothers and sisters you know, in the press going against Donald John Trump. So anyway, that's just kind of my take. But what's your thoughts on this? Well, um, where do we start? <laughs> I think when, um, you know, in the in the South, like, let me start with the Southwest side. We can put some context on that. Yeah. So absolutely. I think that there's definitely, I mean, what I hear in a lot of from, from people, you know, I think that a lot of people are tired, right, of the establishment, right? And I think we can talk about what the establishment means, right? I do think um, that's what I'm, uh, I was a delegate. I'm a delegate for Bernie Sanders, but I was also very supportive of his message even last time in 2016, because there's got to be a change, right? I think you 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 really nail it, right? I mean, and there's multiple layers and it's complex because we we cannot be choosing all the time from the lesser two evils, right? It's that's what it seems to be, and you know uh, we we do need to create an alternative. I think that's what we discuss, and I do think that that's what I'm, I'm a big big fan of the show because it, it really speaks to the issues on the ground that people are living, you know, and for us and in, in, in the southwest side, I do think that we talk about you know to the people in the community say well. Let's talk about what the establishment Democratic Party has done for us. And you start looking at the line of indict and indictments and, you know, it is, how are we going to justify this? And so we got to blow no matter what. I mean, now, do we want to go to the to the extreme, right? And the, and the message for that Trump sent out was, okay, kind of, you know, go against the establishment and all that. And unfortunately, we're living the consequences of that, yeah. right? We saw that with Rauner, the same thing. Now... In our opinion, right, I think in the Southwest side, when we start allowing, you know, younger, you know, new ideas, and we start like, you know, a big fan of Ocasio-Cortez, and that's what thing in the Latino community, what we're starting to see is a right, I mean, very big support for Bernie Sanders have come from the Latino community that has carried some states decisively because of this message. So I think that is what I'm focusing my energies in is to really speak truth to power, you know, speak about the issues, don't hide it from people, be honest, focus on the issues, and 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 start to have a serious conversation. So because people know what's going on, we I mean in this day and age, politicians still they think they can hide things. I mean yeah. look at what happened with Warren. I mean you think that you know people hide. I mean when you flip flop, when you change your mind, politicians are going to start paying the price, and that thing's a good thing. Yeah, uh, we were to talk about Latino support for Bernie. It's a uh, we. It's an interesting uh, dynamic that's emerging in the in Super Tuesday. Uh, many of the black voters went for Biden. Latino voters went for Bernie. We'll get into all that. D, what was the second thing you had? You had a second story? Yeah, we had an ad here. Ben, tell us what you know about uh, Republican Jim Oberweiss. Jimmy Oberweiss? Oh, my God. He's, uh, he was the anti-immigration uh, candidate for states, for, for Senate. Wasn't it Senate? Congress. I think he's run for a lot of different things. Yeah. At one point, he ran for uh, Senate as well. Do you remember uh, the infamous helicopter ad? Uh, I don't remember the helicopter. It was back ad. in two thousand four. Well, don't worry because I think he uh, <laughs> doubled down here. Uh, about twenty years later, uh, we have a new ad from Jim Oberweiss. Uh, this ad is called "Right on the Issues." 
Uh, we've had people on the Facebook page sending us this, so let's go ahead and play it here. Please weigh in with your thoughts uh, afterwards. Raise your hand if, gover if your government plan would provide coverage for undocumented immigrants. Unbelievable. They all support using your tax dollars to give illegal aliens free health care. I predicted this could happen. Illegal aliens are coming here to take advantage of government benefits such as free health care. It's the helicopter. I was right on this issue then, and I'm right now. Send me to Congress, and I'll stand with President Trump to make sure our tax dollars are used oh. to help Americans, not illegal aliens. I'm Jim Oberweiss, and I approve this message. Wow. Um, yeah, that's... I remember I said he was uh, very much uh, hostile uh, to immigrants. I mean, let's get your thoughts on this. I, which, which district is he even running? I believe in? the 20th. He's running in the 20th district? I didn't know that. I thought he was... Double check. Uh, illegal aliens. Um, once we get a Bernie Sanders presidency, um, we need a secretary of education that uh, implements a curriculum for all American students to no longer be brainwashed about what the purpose of criminalizing people is, what this carceral system is. It's to be able to demagogue the first way every genocidal oppression has ever happened is by saying the people we are oppressing deserve it, and that's why they're different than you, dehumanizing people. And so he's saying these, these are human beings who, I mean, are we, do we have time to go into why migrants are driven to the U.S., um, especially from Central and South America? And then they come here, and then they're criminalized for trying to survive, and that's a way that this guy can demagogue and instead of saying what the real solution to our problems are, which is taxing the rich, he's saying blame these migrants who are a symptom of the billionaire class dominating everything in our world. And there's so little literacy about this. Um, you know, I think we're coming closer and closer the last decade, Occupy Wall Street, talking about income inequality, identifying who the enemies are in this struggle for justice. Um, people are getting more and more clarity, um, but it can't happen soon enough because this guy isn't being laughed out of town. And that's, we should have an education system where every American can look at that and be like looking at him like an alien. How dare you say a human being doesn't deserve health care? because of some documentation they have. We know earlier in the show, we were having a conversation with Ramana Hussein, uh, the, uh, an editor at the Sun-Times, she comes on every Friday, and Ramana and I were talking about bias, the concept of bias in journalism, and the notion of objectivity, and implicit bias, uh, and, and biases that we're not allowed to articulate. So for instance, you can't say something like this, like I intend to vote for Kim Fox. Uh, I just said it. <laughs> I intend to vote for Kim Fox. That's not objective, but there's so much bias implicit in what Oberweiss said. Mm -hmm. There's just so much hatred implicit right. in what he said. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, but, I guess at some levels that's... But that becomes normalized yeah, and then it sets the new line. And I mean, if you look at what happened with David Wright, that ABC journalist who was caught on tape with the Project Veritas thing, you know, the, the reason that he was suspended was because he was saying, because Disney bought ABC, now they have to have a Disney character on this show every morning in the morning show to like cross promote and do that synergy stuff. And, mm -hmm. you know, how can you, how can you be a corporate entity and have any sort of interest in 
telling the real news. Like Bernie Sanders said this really clearly. He's like, you know, the media, I've been a public official for decades. I have never had a journalist come to me and ask me about poverty. But oh, if I slip on a banana peel, it's a big story. Or if he uh, went to the Soviet Union back in 1988 and uh, yeah, tried to create a sister city program. Page story. The 14th district. Yeah, I, okay. It was the 14th. It's, yeah, it's Lauren Underwood's district. He's running against Lauren. That's what I thought. Uh, he's He wants to win the Republican. And by the way, I, I shouldn't make any predictions, but I cannot believe that kind of rhetoric is going to prevail in a general. It may get him... The Republican nomination, I just don't believe that's where the district is. But that's is. the thing. Like, no one's coming to save us. The mass media isn't coming to condemn that type of thing. We, as the people, have to, that's what the not me, us thing. Like, yeah, getting Bernie Sanders elected would be great, but it's about strengthening our connections in our communities. Our relationships are the most radicalizing forces in our lives. For us to be able to go talk to, we need to break down barriers and be able to talk across ideologies and say, is because there's only like 10% of the American public are really fascist white supremacists. The rest of us are naive or inadvertently perpetuating. Hey, where'd you prejudices. get 10%? I don't know. That's, I pulled it out of my, you know. <laughs> Sounds good. 10%. She does know numbers. You're just based on like, you know, how you see, like there are real people out there who believe in white supremacy, but yes. they are in the minority. Yeah, I agree with that point. She was channeling her inner Bernie. 10%. 10%. <laughs> 10%. Bernie. 10%. <laughs> All right. Before we do the, the Bernie deep dive, and I've been looking forward to taking the Bernie deep dive. Uh, Byron, I have to ask you about the headline that's in today's Sun-Times. It's in the uh, Tribune. We talked about it already. Lightfoot's Pilsen remark irks Alderman Lightfoot. Of course, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, uh, Alderman that was irked is you. That was the headline in today's uh, Sun-Times. And here is, um, I'm quoting from the story, uh, Fran Spielman's story. Uh, this is what Lori Lightfoot was quoted as saying, quote, Pilsen 10 years ago was a neighborhood we w we all would have been a little bit concerned about being in after dark. Pilsen now is a vibrant, thriving neighborhood. What's the difference? The difference is economic development. Uh, her remarks came during a question and answer session at a day-long innovation summit as she discussed reducing gun violence by creating, quote, vibrant, healthy, and self uh, and safe neighborhoods. And then it goes on to say uh, that you branded the mayor's remarks about Pilsen insulting. Uh, talk about this a little further. Yeah, and, and one, of, one, of the, one of the concerns, you know, when we see the remarks like this, obviously this put it in context, right? This is, these are remarks done in, in New York, right? In economists, when, you know, obviously they're investors. Uh, and I think that was important that we have a good context and good sense of what's happening on the ground. Right, my concerns when we when we talk about you know thriving, right, and I think one of the things that we said is, well, let's look at you know is thriving for whom, right? Is thriving and how is it thriving? What's going on in this community right now? My election, I think, you know, reflected the 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 desire and the hope of a community that is struggling. You know, we campaigned on a premise to address the concerns of long-term residents uh, that. Nine, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, right? I also saw the community as a beautiful community. Now, there are challenges still ahead of us, right? They may be different. But to dismiss, right, to dismiss that, you know, there are issues right now that we are not addressing, right? I mean, there are many communities across the city that are dealing with violence issues that are not getting any better, 
I mean, we let's look at the, you know, the, I mean, just shootings right now in, in my own district, in Chinatown, in Pilsen, we continue to see it. It hasn't gotten safer, right? Uh, if you look at the violence across the city, look, with the shootings in the CTA, there's shootings. Now, let's be clear, right? When we talk about thriving, right, we got to make sure that we, we start looking at the economic development in a more inclusive, equitable way. Right? We talk about lifting people out of poverty. We talk about equity. We talk about all these things, right? And we look at Pilsen in particular, and they're really going to comment on what's going on on the ground. We do see a desire of many residents who want to stay in the community, but they are struggling with public taxes, rents, even only schools are, you know, there was an editorial in December from the Sun-Times that uh, analyzed the alarming rates of displacement that are having a big toll in our public schools, right? Now, when to, we took a bit about thriving, right? And of course, not, it's not a, everything is bad. But obviously, there are challenges. And when we look at a development, especially in our, in, in our city, you know, there are areas in the south side and the west side that are starving of resources, right? And we have not yet managed to create a real process so development reaches out and is more inclusive and equitable. So my concern is when we look about thriving and we look about, okay, this is great, but we don't look at the other side. What we are starting to discuss, and I think not only, and I'm not the only one, but other of my colleagues talk about, well, what we need in our communities, especially in gentrifying communities like Pilsen, like High Park, like Humboldt Park, like Logan Square, is conscious development. We want to make sure that we talk about development that brings also includes the long-term residents. I mean, the number of seniors that come to my office with property taxes, I don't know how I'm gonna pay for this. How am I gonna stay here? You know, the small businesses that say, look, I, I cannot keep up with the rent costs. So we need to address that too, mm-hmm. right? So that was my concern. I said, well, this, this, is, this paints a picture uh, of, okay, well, maybe we, we need to do more of this, right? More of what, a corrupt administration for 23 years? that was completely in the pockets of the developers that didn't consult residents, didn't consult people what, you know, what is possible mm-hmm. and what is needed. So our administration is committed to deliver our promises during the campaign that we said, well, there are ways that we can do that, that we're discussing about ARO reform. And we talk about reform. We're not talking about imposing someone's will. We talk about reforming the affordable requirement ordinance. So private development also sets aside affordable housing. We're talking about having better laws for tenant protection ordinances that we are committed to pass to make sure that developers don't give you a 30-day notice and you're out. Because that's what's happening. And who is doing this, funny enough? New York developers. <laughs> the same place where these remarks were made. So I, I, th- I want to think that we got to be mindful, right? And there are developers in New York right now that they are trying to, they're trying to skip of court corners now. We got to create guidelines and principles so the residents are included and residents and small businesses are betting what they want to see in their own community. And that's possible. I, am com- I, am, I firmly believe that conscious development can be done, that we can have affordable housing at the same time as we're having development. Right, but we need to make sure that we're serious about it. Uh, that concept of conscious development, and I don't want to be overly skeptical and cynical, okay? Yeah. But I've been following, I've been writing about economic development issues in the city of Chicago for a long time, and by and large, economic development means what exactly what Mayor Lightfoot was sort of implying, what was implicit in her statement. She didn't come right out and say it. Economic development generally means gentrification. Economic development means replacing one group of people who used to live in a community who didn't have uh, much money or poor or working class 
house uh, with another group of people who have money. And that's when that is what really what people talk about in the city of Chicago when they talk about development. And that's how our planning dollars have been used for the last 30 years in this city to do that kind of whole scale, move poor people out, bring wealthier people. Yeah. That's a reality. So the notion of conscious development contradicts everything the city of Chicago, or most of the things the city of Chicago is. Absolutely, doing. and that's our point. He said, look, when we talk about economic development from that very simplistic approach, right, which is same old, same old, right? Well, we say no. What we need to make sure that we do, right, is to talk about the inconvenient truths of our communities, the segregation, the inequality that we live in. And if we start looking into that, then we start looking at the seniors displaced, the families who cannot pay the rents or taxes and the small businesses that are struggling. Homeowners, Homeowners. predatorily pursued. People make these superficial comments. Oh, well, people should have bought their homes in Pilsen. They didn't choose to invest. Excuse me, did people have access to credit? Um, I believe there's still, today in 2020, black and Latino lenders, uh, people who are seeking mortgages, have disproportionately difficult times getting mortgages. I mean, yeah. and that's our concern that, you know, we continue doing the same thing, but to try to repackage in a way that, it, no, the, if there's truly a new day in our city, we need to address these issues of segregation, of inequality, of poverty. Okay, let's do it, but let's do it seriously. But when we only talk about, well, we're doing great. This is a great, it's a great example for the city. Let's be careful because in, if you, for anybody who's been, you know, who has been in the community long enough to tell you there are challenges here, there are issues that we need to that we need to address, and we'd be serious about it. Like TIF, TIF reform. How are we going to make sure that TIF money for once helps subsidize the working class and it stops being subsidized the luxury development that we continue to see? So now, and that's what, defined as a radical statement. So again, how can we? <laughs> yes, <laughs> unfortunately, who who to, controls like to, the, what's radical? Right. Yeah. So again. But we want to really think, rethink about this. When we talk about being conscious, it's about, okay, let's think about what kind of development comes to our community. And oftentimes people in Pilsen today will say, we want affordable housing. We need affordable housing. And we don't want to be into the point that what happened in Logan Square so that a developer was suing the city because he believes that the affordable housing were go- that was going to affect the property assessments in, in his properties. Mm-hmm. Now, that's what we got to be cautious. So today, we do have communities that need and want affordable housing. And we got we to gotta do this across the city. It's not on Pilsen Law. But we got to make sure that we are not only thinking, okay, you see, economic development went and solved all the issues that you had. Because that's not true. It's just simply not true. Now, development is going to come to our community, but let's make sure that this consciousness is under the community's terms and is is mindful of the affordable housing that is also need to be created. We want to make sure that we have fair terms, and I do think that people want diverse communities. People want to make sure that we are not, you know, we don't build more and more segregated communities. We want to be people like look at the people. People love their neighbors. The so people look. Hey, I like to see the families. You see, we like the diversity. We like the new residents, the long term residents. But when we erode that, that identity, that diversity, I think that we have to be seriously concerned about if that's really the model that the city wants to continue. Uh, have you had any feedback from the uh, administration since you, uh, the Lightfoot administration, since you made these comments? Well, I mean, we, we, we um, yeah, obviously, I'm sure that there are, they're still, you know, discussing the, the because there's no comment yet, right? So I think that there is obviously uh, indication that that's not what it was meant to be. 
right? So we will look forward to hearing exactly. So I think these are important conversations. Okay, well, then let's let's discuss what we mean then. Because yeah. we have to be very clear, like to your point, we have to be very clear about, you know, uh, especially in a community like Pilsen, right? To talk about this as a model when gentrification has taken such a big toll, 10,000 residents in the last decade. And that's the time frame that we're using. We just gotta be very careful what we mean. And you know, I obviously wanna, wanna hear that. I mean, wanna hear very, very, you know, very clearly, right? And I think the public, not only me, but the public wants to hear very clearly what do we mean by that? And how are we going to address the issues that we have? That's what people want to hear. They're uh, speaking about uh, TIF reform you just alluded to. There's a big project just, I'm um, doing this geographically, just to the east and of, of Pilsen, the 78. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about how this uh, deal was cut. Uh, $1.1 billion to underwrite this uh, project on a huge swath of undeveloped land. Again, just east of Chinatown, just east of Pilsen, and uh, when 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 the deal went down, you were, had been elected alderman, but you had not actually taken your seat. And um, so I always love talking about it. they they say that there's aldermanic prerogative in the city of Chicago. In your case, uh, there was an aldermanic prerogative. You would ask not to approve the seventy eight, and they approved it anyway. Uh, people who ex- who say that defended it say well ben the reason they didn't listen to byron was because he actually hadn't taken office yet so i said oh i see it's pivotal on the oath of office is that's when because there was no alderman danny solis was i don't know where he was witness protection i have no idea where danny said there was no alderman uh so i always laugh uh when i heard when i hear that uh i noted i think Lorraine told me that you were at the uh groundbreaking ceremony or the ribbon cutting ceremony or whatever the official start of the 78 uh, are they? Are you part of the discussions and conversations now about how the seventy-eight will unfold? Do you feel like you're being included in all this? Yeah. So you know, what's interesting is, was appalling to me that before I took office and I was just getting okay. What you know, where has where are the conversations? What have you know? What are the commitments? What have we done? What's the plan? And there was really little conversation, little little feedback. We we took a long time to for us even to get the information. So uh, right now, what our goal in our administration is to empower residents to be at the table. So the, one of the first things that we insist in it is to have in a $10 billion, potentially $10 billion project, mm. how one office of five people gonna you know, have a real, of, real oversight of this huge project, right? So one of the things that we insisted on is like, well, we need to make sure that there's serious oversight on this project because it was clear that, that that wasn't the case. And a lot of the terms that they were negotiated, in my opinion, they were not beneficial to the community. Like talk about from the little things of the, the local contracting for minority and women businesses at $400 million. You know, we put, I mean, look at it from simple terms, right? If we put in TIP money with 1.3 billion, I think we expect to, you know, I think the return for the public, right, is 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 important, right? As we are negotiating with any, and this is this is about to make sure that the benefits to the community are real, tangible, and we're not creating bigger problems like displacement and other things. So my concern is that we, there was not like an impact study. There wasn't a trap. There were not a lot of studies or information or research to inform these decisions. So the one thing that we insisted on, and, and that was one thing that I'm glad the administration welcomed and, and, and supported and, and pushed forward, was to create advisory councils now made of residents, right? This is very different. When I talk about 
experts. And we, one of the clauses that we put in is that we don't want conflict of interest or contractors or people who are connected to the city to just do, you know, what 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 the city says, but to have oversight and to ask questions. So uh, we had a good conversation of what the, what the process looks like. And, you know, right now we're still finalizing that list, but there are going to be 17 members of uh, the, you know, the community, mainly or majority being residents that are coming from our local zoning advisory board. Uh, Alderman Dowell, Alderman King had some feedback on residents who are involved in the community to be at the table and not only oversee, you know, to provide overseeing the project, but also communicate with residents when there are issues. These large projects, right? We don't want to find out after the fact what was decided. We need to be at the table and make sure that we address concerns as they go. When it's after the fact, it's, you know, too little, too late, you know? And those are the negotiations that we need to be vigilant as taxpayers, as residents of the city, to make sure that we, these, these developments that unfortunately, you know, were rushed, right? And when things are rushed, there's never, very rarely we see, I mean, there's a reason why things are rushed oftentimes, because, you know, if, if, if it would have gone through, you know, the proper channel, perhaps that wouldn't have been the case. All right. Uh, so there's a little hope for there's going to be some community oversight there. I'm encouraged to hear that. Uh, we'll have one last question about local stuff. We'll take a break and come back and do national. Uh, Lorraine, let's bring you in the conversation. The, we talked about this at the start of the show, uh, the coronavirus scare and the impact it's having uh, on Chinatown and businesses. That uh, Chinatown is in the 25th Ward. And uh, I think I saw a study or an article that said 50% drop in businesses people are afraid uh, to go to Chinatown and, and the restaurants and the are being heard talk about this a little bit um, yeah I think we're seeing um, you know if you want to talk the the reason that this is exploding to the extent that it is is that the Trump administration um, apparently fired a bunch of the doctors and experts who are in charge of pandemics at the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta. Um, we saw that, you know, um, they had CDC people, federal workers um, greet evacuees who were coming uh, back from a country that had a high rate of it and um, they, they were coronavirus evacuees and they didn't have proper protective gear on. So, um, and he has Mike Pence in charge of the response who oversaw the greatest HIV AIDS outbreak in the United States in this century. Um, and he- In Indiana. Yeah, mm -hmm. in Indiana. And I believe one of his tactics to respond to it was to pray. Um, but we all know two hands working is more effective than Mike Pence doing anything with his hands. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so then locally we see like in, in Region 10 in the, we just got an email at the, at the federal, our federal AFGE locals um, hearing that EPA workers in Seattle area now have indefinite ability to work from home because that's the, that's the amount of danger that they're concerned about because there's been so many cases in Wisconsin. Washington State that went um, uncaught for a long time. And um, here in Cook County, I believe the, it's up to five cases, but those cases are all you know secluded and people went themselves. Um, and so in Chinatown, it's, you know, nobody's coughing. People are there healthy and ready to eat or patronize the businesses. And so we go there frequently and- Yeah, we have uh, taken the DSA elected, we have taken the assessor, um, We'd like to take you. Hopefully, Definitely. maybe we can we can do a show over yeah. there. Mm -hmm. I know you're a big fan of the Chinatown community, so the more that we can do for this community during these times, mm -hmm. you know, because most of the case, I mean, I don't know about there was maybe a, a potential new case, but almost all the cases not only in the city, mm -hmm. 
they're not even yeah, here. They're in the they're in the suburbs. So mm-hmm. again, I, I do think we have to take precaution, right? And you know, they're very clear guidelines. And in fact, right? that one of the the most cases I've heard of are coming from Italy because of the the response there. And so, you know, every time you'll see in the media, whenever they read report about coronavirus, they'll have a photograph of a person of Asian, Asian, East Asian descent. And a lot of these people are who have exposure are not Asian. So stop. And then, you know, there's, there's, you know, every day there's a story of an Asian person experiencing violence from someone who is being racist towards them. So it's, it's amazing, like how quickly demagoguery can spread. Um, based on fear. Yeah. All right. Maybe uh, we'll take a brief break. We'll come back. We'll talk about uh, uh, the Bernie, Bernie and Biden and the, the, the race for presidency. But uh, yeah, let's do a show from Chinatown. That'd be a blast. We'll be right back. <laughs> Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. I've seen a whole lot of catfish, some turtles. Uh, No gators yet, though. Hey, D. Yeah? Did I tell you that the Ben Jarofsky Show is sponsored by Rattleback Records? No. Well, it is. Rattleback Records at 5405 North Clark Street is Andersonville's full-service record store. Hey, D. Did I tell you it was voted one of Chicago's best record stores in the 2019 Chicago Reader Poll? No. Well, it was. Wow. Rattleback Records, 5405 North Clark Street. Used and new LPs and 45s. They got CDs, DVDs, books, gifts, and much more. For more information, contact them at rattlebackrecords.com. That's R-A-T-T-L-E-B-A-C-K records.com. break over welcome back to the ben jarofsky show live from the chicago sun times i was lopez lorraine targos in the studio uh lorraine is usually talks epa issues environmental issues and union issues uh and uh but i'm going to ask you about bernie versus biden this has been on my mind we've been talking about it all day uh since the consolidation of the moderates or the centrists whatever they're called behind biden uh, it seems as though a lot of pressure. I opened the show by talking about this. It was like I've been feeling the shut up, get in line, Ben uh, phase of an election. I'm used to that on the local level. People are always telling me to shut up and get fall in line. Alorine, whether it's um, uh, on the TIF policies, you can develop policies, school policies, whatever. But I'm feeling it on the national level as well. Uh, do you think it's a foregone conclusion that Joe Biden will be the nominee? Absolutely not. Um, I was pretty depressed on uh, Monday from all the consolidation and seeing like the real muscle of the establishment and um, the lengths they're willing to go to preserve their power and silence the movement. And um, but then Tuesday night when I saw that, you know, Bernie still kicked ass in California and a lot of voters saw through, you know, the the obstacles they put in place to 
allow him to still do well. And sure, he didn't have a blowout like we wanted, but he still did well enough to let us know that we can still keep fighting. It's not over. It's really, they showed their desperation and that's how close we are to victory. And the only thing they want to do is demoralize us. And I think I'm seeing like people coming back and realizing that hope is not lost. We are in this for the long haul. You know, when we would talk to voters in Iowa, there'd be people who are older. And it's interesting, like people are so worried about courting these theoretic, these mythical moderate Republicans who never vote Democrat in these elections. What is it? 2000, 2004, 2016. How many times we have to lose with these moderates. And um, you see like, the people who were the non-voters, those are the ones who I'm interested in, like the ones who were displaced out of Pilsen, who are forgotten in this talk about, oh, it's thriving. Where did those people go? Are they voting? Are they dying of opioid addiction because of our elected officials of both parties looking the other way while pharmaceutical companies profited from marketing a product that they knew was highly dangerous? Those, That's the majority of Americans who are eligible to vote, but have lost faith in life. And then you have groups saying, oh, well, if you don't vote, then you're so privileged. I am so sick of it. We don't have, we don't hear the voices of the despairing masses who don't vote. And Bernie speaks to them in a way that Joe Biden never will, that Trump pretends to. And that's the thing. If you want to run and beat a gangster bully like Donald Trump, then you got to do it with the real thing. Donald Trump is pretending to be a populist that cares about people. Bernie is the real thing. He's fought his whole life to, and there's no doubt in anyone's mind, in 70% of voters' minds, of all voters, mm -hmm. that he is doing what's right. You know, there's a video out of John McCain saying he felt the burn and um, how everyone knows that he's a decent man. He's trying to do what's right. And you can't, ha you can't say that with Joe Biden. He takes money from fossil fuel donors, and then he says, we can't stop fracking. Excuse me, we started fracking like less than 10 years ago or less than 20 years ago, and that's the biggest release of methane. We're seeing, you know, how many pictures of polar bears starving do you have to scroll past through on your Facebook before you realize that they are the extremists? Donald Trump and Joe Biden are united they are the extremists. We are the majority. We are the moderates who want the polar bears to not go extinct. And in order to do that, we need a war scale effort to invest in a Green New Deal. And we are totally capable of it. We're bringing back to what FDR was able to do. And that's what when the 1% says it's not possible for Bernie to win, they're, they're not saying it's not possible. They're saying we will stop you. We will make phone calls over the weekend and get Pete and Amy to drop out and and, you know, um, Robert O'Rourke to endorse Joe Biden. And you will see our strengths. <laughs> you lost me with the Robert O'Rourke. And then I really, oh, yeah. Beto, okay. Right. Like if you, if you want to be Beto, you better stand with Bernie. Okay. okay. Um, you lost me like a Robert O'Rourke. Exactly. Did I miss that one? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> that's how much they've deceived us. Yeah. <laughs> and we want, and that's the thing, regular people, we don't have the... We don't have the, because we're good, we don't have corporate interests backing our careers. And so we can't f relate to the 1% who would take money from fossil fuel companies and yet say, oh, we can't stop climate change. When we know what the stakes would be for our children are like, look at your child, which I don't even have, but look at your child and realize that when they're your age, when they're your parents' age, they are living in a world that we cannot 
fathom what it'll be like, not only from the heat and whatever, but what kind of instability are we going to have? And Bernie Sanders has plans for that resilience. He has plans to fight the demagoguery in which he'll invest in public housing so that when the city of New Orleans or Boston are wiped off the face of the map and those people sprinkle throughout the rest of the country, they don't become... The, they don't become targets of hatred. In f- instead, we have built housing to be able to accommodate them in a humane way. From, and it should come out of a tax from the fossil fuel industry that extracted so much wealth that they perhaps killed our planet. And these are all totally reasonable, moderate things that nearly 90% of Americans want. And we can have it as long as we realize that we are the majority and stop letting them fool us. All right, let's talk about something uh, that, uh, Byron, you you alluded to. And this is uh, confounding many people uh, in the uh, on the Bernie side. So I think it was 70% of black vote in some states, according to exit polls, uh, went for Biden. Uh, and the other hand, Bernie did very well with Latino voters throughout the country. Texas, California, et cetera, and so forth. So help me understand that. How do you see, I was asked about that on an election night. We were doing a show, the reader was doing a show, and somebody got up and asked that question. It was a full panel of people. And the response of the panelists was like, oh, huh? Nobody knew, we were confronted with that. Nobody knew how to answer. So how? What, I would love to hear each of you on this subject. We'll start with you, Byron. What's your thoughts? Yeah. So, and, and let's be clear. I think that even in the you know in 2016, I think Bernie had issues you know to um, to get the the black vote. I mean that's that's been a, a, that's a, that's an issue that you know to how do we appeal to a you know wide range of voters, right? I do think that within that we look at you know he still does well with. Uh, young voters in general. That's across the board. Latino, like the the Latino, the African American vote across the board. He does well with young voters. Period. I do think that it has to do with uh, the corporate media tax, right? That make it really hard for 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 people to make the decision. Obviously, is the 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 Obama Biden ticket, right? And that has and and we gotta be clear, right? That it comes with a weight, and especially when everyone gets behind a candidate, right? And the whole corporate media is against it. Well, and I even heard of some friends, right? It seems almost that, you know, the Democratic Party is not running against Trump, it's running against <laughs> Bernie, right? So when you, when, when you see the leverage, right, so we understand how, you know, how much they have to put in to stop this, this movement, because I, I do think, uh, and I hope that the party doesn't make this mistake to stop the future of the party. Right, the, the the future voters and the young voters who are getting excited, who want to participate, and they have put significant amount of resources right in the south in in areas. So there was a real big operation, right, especially before Super Tuesday, right, to cut deals to uh, to I mean the the red baiting on, on on the media against Bernie and put him as a socialist and you know to the point that they were you know and again you know I do think there's some real uh, real strategy uh, and you know when I talk I have great dear um, friends of mine you know African American especially senior voters right who do get concerned when they hear oh look what what he said about Cuba what he said and they play this in such a heavy way right and Bernie will like when you when the if we have an opportunity to get the message out, what did he say? So I just said the same thing that Obama said. Mm-hmm. But look at the coverage that he got for the same, the exact same thing, 
right? So I do think that that plays out, and you know, obviously the weight of the the, the party uh, against all odds, right? So in the south, and is 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 to to win the national race with the complexities of it. Um, you know, I do think that Bernie's doing extremely well, <laughs> given the odds against him. However, right, I do think it's a serious effort, especially, and, the, the, you know, and other consultants and all that, they know the, the, the flaws, and they really go heavy at this. So I think for us is to make that work, to make sure that the word gets out, right, and the effects of the social media and, and people talking to people. I've seen those being turned around, but again, it's not a small tax. I believe that if Bernie is the nominee, he'll be the president of the United States. What's your take on this, Lorraine? Yeah, it's the it's totally right. I mean, look at how the media spins these things. The campaign uh, definitely, you know, did, who knew that the Obama would be making phone calls and consolidating power so much that weekend? And so, um, our, our movement was actually resilient enough to keep Biden from winning everything. He didn't win California, that type of thing. And California is like a heart of neoliberal exploitation of you know democratic base. Um, and so you. You saw that in California, the propaganda didn't work. Uh, and Colorado, California, Colorado, yeah. Utah, and Vermont. I, mm-hmm. For some reason, I still remember those four right. states. Yeah, so it didn't work there. And, you know, we just need to keep fighting um, and getting the word out. And it's just not going to be, um, it's not going to be, there's an inertia that they can't stop in terms of young voters and, you know, all the narratives coming out, like at uh, the Bernie Sanders rally last night, someone unfurled a Nazi flag. Yeah, weird. And I, um, you know, people talk about, oh, Bernie bros are so terrible. Um, fascists are a lot worse. And it'd be nice if they took some coverage of um, not elevating fascists. Like, for example, CBS 60 Minutes did a special on that war criminal that Trump pardoned, who had taken a photo with like a child, civilian child that he assassinated, um, not give them airtime, but in fact, investigate. Of course, there's no interest in corporate media to do this because they profit from you know the division of the working class, and so they won't examine why fascism rises and how what we can do as a society to fight it back. Like I've always thought about, like there's so much work in our society, and yet there's no money to do it. But if a billionaire wants to do anything like $500 million to run for uh, president on a vanity campaign, there's always money for that. But if you need if you need someone to help your mom because she fell and broke her hip and you need home health care, there's no resources for that. There's no resource of the working class to solve the problems with the working class. But there's always money for the rich to do whatever they want to do. Well, uh, that is pretty much uh, the way it is in this country when it comes. I don't know about so much the rich, but when it comes to our uh, our defense budget, uh, $750 billion, there's always money for that. And I just read this Tribune editorial endorsing Joe Biden. <laughs> we'll, we'll close it with this. To, why anybody would take advice from the Tribune in the Democratic primary, but talking about how outrageous Bernie's uh, plans are for Didn't Medicare. Didn't the sometimes endorse uh, Biden too? Uh, yes, they did endorse mm-hmm. Biden. I haven't seen their editorial yet. Mm-hmm. My point about the Tribune endorse, I'm not surprised mm-hmm. that the Chicago Sun-Times endorses endorse mm-hmm. Biden, um, but I just get a kick out of the Chicago Tribune's editorial page, which is ex- extremely right-wing. Right. And a Repub- they, they're so right-wing, they couldn't endorse Hillary Clinton <laughs> in 2016, mm-hmm. they, and they were too embarrassed to endorse Trump, so they went for Gary Johnson. Right. The, tr- the Sun-Times at least is in the, the Democratic camp, mm-hmm. so it's like yeah. they have a legitimate claim to say, Okay, we have an opinion. Mm-hmm. I would not take any advice yeah. from the Chicago Tribune on the Democratic. And we talked about objectivity. I think it's it's refreshing for media outlets to say their bias 
because everyone's biased. Just say you're biased. Don't don't come out and say, "Oh, I'm neutral." Yeah. You have an interest. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a great point you made, Ben. I mean, if we can start getting to be honest about where our biases are, right? I think that we people will take the advice a little more, you know, for where it comes from. Because look, if we talk, if we're serious about, you know, look at and, and again the different effects of, of Biden and you know the weight behind it and all that. But it looks let's look at the issues, right? And what's popular for most of the electorate, electorate right? We talk about Medicare for all extremely, extremely popular, even among Republicans. When we talk about the platform that, you know, um, uh, you know, or getting the big money out of politics, if we talk about his actual platform, right? The platform, you know, and we look at Biden, right? And his track record trying to cut Social Security, his track record, you know, on the Iraq war. And if people we really will get that, if we really analyze the, the track record and the vote record, we'll see who is the best candidate to defeat Trump. My concern is that because this bias and, and corporate media was more acceptable to the status quo, was most acceptable to the fossil industry, to the pharmaceutical industry, then they want to still choose who is the next nominee. But I do think that if we're able to get the word out and if people mobilize, if we organize, if we use you know the platforms of our social media and, and overcome the corporate media effect because there is a significant effect, I still there's hope, and I think people cannot buy into this rhetoric of oh, it's the the number of delegates. The difference is so yeah, no, tiny. That's I mean, if we can't get past that, I do think that All we have we not need only is the hope. truth. Yeah, oh, that's the thing about we only need the truth to get out, and we win. And that's really not that much to ask for. Being right. honest and admitting your bias, how are you going to make money doing that? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we better cut close it down. I'm looking at the clock, and I want to say too, the Sun Times may have endorsed Biden, but the crammed back room by the bathrooms <laughs> in the sun times. This studio has not endorsed Biden. I love how the endorsement, that endorsement went really, you know, that loud endorsement. We always joke, this is lefty land over here. The little room by the bathroom. This, is, this is the parasite basement of the office. <laughs> Paris, great movie, by the way, Parasite. All right, Lorian Targos, thank you much. Byron Sixal Lopez, thank you. Leonard Goodman, before my lot of Bernie people on this show today. I'm just wow. looking at Rachel Ventura opening <laughs> the show. Uh, Ramana Hussein, not making any endorsements. Great job as always. Miles Porter, he's not making any endorsements yet either. Uh, and of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And as Byron and Lorraine can tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Tennis. White Lightning. <laughs> No. Right? They call him White ah, Lightning. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews like this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. We got David Ferris on deck for this weekend. Scott Duff, host of Out Chicago on the radio station that fired Ben. Me there. Uh, Beyond the Column, we're going to take an even deeper dive in Ben Jarofsky's latest column and so much more. Get those bonus interviews. We'll see you Tuesday. Number two. That's correct.